Welcome to the Way of Oneness. Hi everyone, I'm Christopher Kakuyo Sensei, and I'm a Sensei of the Salt Lake Buddhist Fellowship. We are an independent, transsectarian, all-inclusive American Sangha in the Mahayana tradition. The Way of Oneness podcast is a collection of our Dharma talks, delivered at our Salt Lake City Fellowship Sangha. Enjoy the Dharma talk. So, for today's Dharma talk, I want to talk about anger. Now, many of us have a tendency to be on two sides of anger. Those who are easily consumed by anger and the others that never allow ourselves to feel anger. And as Guillaume Kabose sensei has taught, there are teachers everywhere, and our experience with anger is one of those teachers, if we will let it. Today I want to talk about the middle way when it comes to the experience of anger and how anger can be our teacher. First of all, anger in and of itself is neither good nor bad but it has the potential to become one of the three poisons that keep us bound to suffering. At its core, anger is a cry for help. Let's say that one more time. At its core, anger is a cry for help. As Thich Nhat Hanh has taught, anger is the overflowing of suffering. An angry person is a suffering person. And I want to address one thing, and one thing that we need to be aware of. In the eyes of the Bodhisattva, there is just suffering. One suffering is not more worthy than another's suffering. Again, some of us diminish our own suffering, while others of us diminish the suffering of others. This scorekeeping fuels disconnection and tribalism and becomes a barrier, almost an impenetrable barrier, to really listening to another human being. My poetry professor was from Kenya, excuse me, from Nigeria. And as a young man, he had been put on death row for writing a novel that just happened to reflect what was going on in his country. And the president of the time didn't like it. 18 years old, on death row. Being in Nigeria at that time, he witnessed children's soldiers. He wrote about the horrors they experienced. One day a student asked him, what can I write about? I mean, really, seriously, my upper middle class white experience in Southern California My childhood and my worries and suffering seem so indulgent compared to what you've seen, Professor Abani. His response was to share what you know, to share your experience, and do not diminish your own suffering. The experience is yours. I never forgot that. There are two 
kinds of anger that I want to talk about. One is protective anger, and the other is destructive anger. Over the next few Sundays, I want to talk about both. But today, I want to focus on this idea of protective anger, and next Sunday, I want to dress on how to deal with destructive anger and how we can practice what's called wisdom anger. An anger that is motivated by compassionate action. When most people think of Buddhas, they think of the peaceful and serene face of the Buddha. Not many of us have seen the fierce face of angry Buddhas of the Tibetan or the Japanese tradition. When you leave today, back behind the counter is uh, an image of Fudo, and I'll talk more about Fudo today, and he is the protective Buddha, the angry Buddha, um, a collage I made so you can get an idea of what Fudo looks like in the traditional imagery. First of all, we have a tendency to neuter our Buddhas. We make them rather docile. So during Bodhi Day, we don't see the half-dead Buddha. We see the young, supple Buddha. When we imagine a Buddha, we imagine a peaceful and serene Buddha. But the Buddhas are more than that. Um, I love this from Melvin McLeod, who is the editor of Lion Roars magazine. Quote, The Buddhas are not just the love and light people we like to think they are. Of course, their enlightened mind is grounded in total peace, but in that open space, compassion spontaneously arises. It has many manifestations. One is the pure energy of anger. Anger is the power to say no. This is our natural reaction whenever we see someone suffer. We want it to just stop. The Buddhists say no to the three poisons that drive injustice. They are angry about our suffering, and they will, be ha they will happily destroy its causes. They aren't angry at us. They're angry for us. End quote. So I want to focus on this protective anger as the power to say no. Before I do, I, I want to share some of my own experiences with my relationship with anger. So, as many of you know, I grew up in a rather dysfunctional home. I lived in a house that was filled with impotent fire that couldn't catch its breath. I grew up in a house made of hungry knives, a house made from clutching hands, a house made from bruises. Anger, both spoken and unspoken, took up all the rooms in our house and the anger of life, of marriage not being as it's supposed to be, my father's hostility, my mother's passivity, both of them angry and neither having the power to say enough. The lesson I learned early, the formula was clear. Father gets angry, mom gets angry back, they fight, they call each other names, dad leaves angry, mom breaks down crying, mom goes into a deep depression, and I get to take care of mom, 
and I'm nine. Lessons learned. Do not get angry. And if you do, you will be left. My experience is different than many men's. In our society, it's okay for men to get angry. It's an unwritten law of masculinity. A man who does not get angry, there's something wrong with him. He's feminized. He's a good boy. Women, on the other hand, are not allowed to get angry. An angry woman is a bitch. Our cultural karma has us all twisted up in knots when it comes to anger. My experience helps me understand those who have a problem with expressing anger, but not the burning kind of raging anger, but the quiet, smoldering kind, limping along anger, the passive-aggressive anger, or more accurately termed covert aggressive anger that wants to come out, that wants to say, Enough is enough, but is too fearful. Regardless of how we react to anger, by fueling it, by closing down, the reality of anger is what we need to understand. Anger emerges, this is from Bernard Goldman, quote, from a longing for a release from pain and suffering that may not be fully accepted or even recognized. Like the baby's cry, our anger stems from some perceived threat, as well as anguish, feelings such as anxiety, fear, shame, powerlessness, and self-doubt, end quote. If I look back at my own parents, at my father's anger, it was fueled by his powerlessness to help the woman he loved as she unraveled in front of him because of her mental illness. And my mother's constant argument with reality as it was, and not as it should be, and her shame and her anxiety at her own powerlessness over her disease. I think it is our relationship with powerlessness or a feeling of being disempowered that fuels so much anger. Look at our country right now. People are not just angry because they're morally corrupt. They're angry angry because they suffer, because they're lost, because they're confused, because the world is not making sense. The feeling of powerlessness strikes fear to our small ego self that needs to feel in control, and therefore, when it feels powerless, it tries to reassert itself in outbursts of anger at the smallest of things in the service of self instead of others. It is the frightened child within us that cowers in the protective shield of woe is me and the injustices of the world. 
Destructive anger is indulgent, is a raging fire that gives no light, but only more suffering. My relationship with anger totally changed. I, I remember the day. I remember the office. I remember the therapist. She was a, an angel sent to me. I was dealing with boundary issues and anger, and, and I almost never got angry. I didn't know how to feel my own anger, and it was there. Don't get me wrong. It was there. It was inside me, hiding and affecting my life in so many other ways. My first wife and I, we never fought, and we prided on ourselves on that. Oh, we have such a good relationship. It's so healthy. We never fight. It's because we're both pushovers, and we never asked for what we wanted or needed. We didn't know how to say no. And I wonder if we ever even knew how to say yes. I wonder how many love affairs, how many marriages continue primarily because of the centrifugal force created in their courtship or from having children. My therapist looked at me and she said, you know, feelings of anger can be the arising of self-compassion. That blew my mind. Allowing myself to be angry is allowing some self-compassion. It can help generate the energy to say, no, enough. Boundaries are necessary before we ever attempt to dismantle our stories. Maybe if I had learned this earlier, I might have been able to save my first marriage if I had a better understanding of boundaries and the ability to say no. I was too terrified to say no because I thought I would be abandoned and curious in the end. I did the abandoning. Years later, I was given the opportunity to learn more about anger. My first serious relationship after my marriage was with a young, angry woman. Everybody knew her as being angry. That was her identity. I loved her. <laughs> she was quick to anger and learned at an early age the power of a few cutting words. She was a skillful assassin with a phrase. We would talk about her anger, and I said, but you're not all anger. There's so much more of you. You are rarely ever angry with me, so you have the capacity to not be angry. And she looked, and she smiled and said, I don't get angry with you, babe, because you don't do anything to make me angry. <laughs> that would change. <laughs> When it did, at first her words were well wielded like a sword and they landed their blows, allowing anger to be my teacher. I observed and could see, finally, the scared young kid inside of her trying to protect herself. One time she was saying a litany of mean things to get me to respond, to get me to hurt like her. It was a moment of rare clarity that I started to understand that at the heart of our anger, of almost all anger, is suffering. Instead of getting angry back, I remember 
leaning against the wall in the kitchen. And I asked her, Babe, are you okay? What is it that I said that hurt you? The relationship was coming to an end and with her and I, and I learned that to love someone unconditionally does not mean that you have to live with them unconditionally. To do so, that is the definition of idiot compassion. Protective anger is about the power to say no, an affirmative no, a powerful, compassionate no. The woman or man in an abusive relationship, regardless of romantic or familial, needs the protective energy, the momentum generated from protective anger, that energy to say no, to create a boundary, to get the hell away. I see protective anger coming from our innate Buddha nature, from the great compassionate heart of all awakened beings. Protective anger is not violent, but it is assertive. It is not fickle, but determined and unbowed. It is not in the service of only self, but of all others. In the traditional Japanese Buddhism, there is the guardian Fudo Myo-u-u, the guardian of wisdom, the unshakable spirit that personifies the virtue of perseverance. He's portrayed holding a sword in his right hand and a coiled rope in his left. With this sword of wisdom, he cuts through delusion and ignorance, and with the rope, he binds violent passions and destructive emotions. He transmits the teachings and the injunctions of the universal Buddha to all living beings. Though his expression is one of anger, it is protective anger. Fudo's nature is at its heart one of compassion, and his vow to be in the service of all beings for all time. For me, this Fudo image is a representation of protective, compassionate anger. So what does that look like in our world that seems to be on fire with anger, greed, and hatred? This is nothing new. The Buddha's fire sermon given over 2,600 years ago is just as true today as it was then. The anger we see rising in today is the anger born of fear, and it is the most dangerous. We see the overflowing of destructive anger, anger in the service of self, not others. And don't let the righteousness of your cause blind you to think somehow your anger is different. How much of our righteous anger is more about us, about our suffering? Could the depth of our righteousness be the level that it's all about ourselves, no matter how much we pretend it's about others? I don't know. Maybe. As a follower of the Buddha, we are called to be compassionate, to victim, yes, but also the perpetrator. Because whether we like to admit it or not, we have been both. 
as a follower of the Buddha way, we want to touch the source of our anger, whether it be fear, shame, anxiety, or powerlessness. When anger arises, we ask ourselves, what is this anger calling out for? Anger is an insistent invitation to look and listen to the cry that comes from within. By doing this, we will know from our own discovery that when we are faced with the anger of others, we will see as Thich Nhat Hanh teaches, quote, when a person's speech is full of anger, it is because he or she suffers deeply, end quote. This will change our relationship with Facebook forever. Thich Nhat Hanh goes on to teach, quote, When you look deeply into your own anger, you will see that the person you call enemy is also suffering. As soon as you see that, the capacity of accepting and having compassion for them is there, end quote. And this is the man who, during the Vietnam War, carried his bloody brother's body back to his parents. Even when we do this, even as we cultivate this and we practice this with our families and friends and lovers, it doesn't mean that all the problems will be resolved or that hatred and ill will will be abolished that we will all join hands and sing Kumbaya. Regardless of our efforts, in spite of them, some will hold on to their anger tenaciously because as James Baldwin has written, quote, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with pain. End quote. That being said, the Buddha has asked us to be steadfast in our practice. And I want to be like Fudo. I want to stand with my sword in the midst of the flames, immovable. Because what motivates me is a heart of compassion. I love the symbolic elements of Fudo. I appreciate this from Venerable Jinmo Renge. Quote, in images, the statue of Fudo, Fudo stands enveloped by the flames of passion, aggression, and stupidity. He or she, it's hard to tell, stands chained to a stone in the midst of these flames, chained by the vows that he has made to liberate all beings who dwell in hell realms of confusion and grasping. The rock to which Fudo Mio has voluntarily chained herself represents the ground of reality. Her vow is to stand immovable on the ground of reality in order to liberate beings in the midst of their various forms of contraction. The rock is reality, and no matter how wildly the flames of passion, aggression, and stupidity burn, she has chosen to chain herself to the rock. May we be like Fudo, be immovable in the face of anger, our own and others, 
so that we can deeply listen without judgment and help all of us understand that anger is a call to listen. To listen deeply to the suffering that is there. Namo Amida Butsu. Um, I want to turn the time over to you to share any impressions, any thoughts, any ideas. Um, again, I, I, I just want to um, tell you that next Sunday we're going to talk more about anger and we'll actually talk about the source of anger and, and how what it does to us and others and how we can find a way to find an, an antidote um, to that impulse of anger. I have to really agree with that. When I first uh, started dating Linnea, um, I get really angry, like the first time. And uh, <laughs> she said, she said, um, just be angry. Don't, don't apologize for it. It's like you're apologizing for being angry. You have a right to be angry. You have a right to be angry at me. But you get a little squealy. Stop it. <laughs> she was right. I did because I was uncomfortable with it. I, I didn't know how to hold it in my body. I didn't know that it was okay to feel that way. But to think that I wasn't expressing anger. So now I find passive-aggressive people drive me crazy because I was that person. And now I kind of push their buttons to get them to like be overtly you know, aggressive instead of covertly aggressive. And they go, whoa, 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 back off. That's my issue. Especially if it's your boss, probably don't want to do that. Um, but it, it's interesting how that works. And it was so hard to, to feel that. Because when I saw that in my family, if I'm going to get angry, I'm going to be abandoned. How much bullshit have we put up in our lives because we're afraid to say no or to be angry or to say enough? Or as the revolutionaries say, basta. Not pasta. Basta. <laughs> It's enough. Enough. It's okay to feel that. It's empowering. It gives us the energy to get up off our cushions and do something. Hatred's been like a thing that's been like core to my identity for like half my life. Um, started like when I was 13 towards a certain uh, local organization and it basically became like my cornerstone and uh, when we were at retreat um, I took the vows and we were told to um, you know pick the stone that we wanted to give up and before that we were meditating on it and I was, you know, out on that lawn under the trees. And it suddenly became, like, very clear to me that I wanted to attach as much of that hatred as I could to that rock to give up. And that was, that was, like, really huge. And I felt that for a long time after I still feel it. And the hatred is not, you know, all gone, but it's not the, you know, ever-burning 
vestigial hatred that I held on to, even after being separated from what caused the hatred in the first place. And during that whole time, you know, there was, uh, like, lashing out at people that even just reminded me or even touched on that, like, hatred. A lot of people that I hurt that didn't deserve it. And, yeah, that's my relationship to the hatred. It's really interesting. I'm Paul, by the way. It's really interesting that um, this this subject, I, for most of my life, I've kind of dealt with anger, kind of like, that's what I describe it as like a string of firecrackers. So I had a you know, relatively short fuse, and then there'd just be a lot of pops, and then it would go away. Um, I've done a better job of making it more like maybe an M80 with a long fuse. <laughs> so, it takes longer to get there, but it's a bigger explosion, which I don't necessarily know whether that's good or not. Um, but I, I think I've done a good job of working to make that not happen as often externally. Um, but listening today, I realized that um, the battle I haven't tackled and I've really put aside is that internal monologue, anger, the anger at myself. Um, you know, the destructive, it's very destructive. So, you know, it's, it's nice to hear this and maybe come away over the next, you know, couple sessions or whatever with maybe some ways to turn that to more of a protective internal anger. But, um, yeah. One thing I want to say in closing is that, again, anger in of itself is neither good nor bad. And, and a lot of what we develop, either not getting angry or getting angry, was a self-protection that we learned as children to survive. So there is a a wounding, a deep wounding in many of us that has given birth to our relationship with anger. And to be able to, to transcend that is to get to the suffering that is there. So I hope that, that when you see angry people or you hear angry people or you, you fall down a rabbit hole and decide to try to change somebody's mind on Facebook, it never happens, um, that you realize that when they are saying what they are saying, that, that anger comes from a sense of suffering, loss, fear, that it is not a flaw of moral character. It is simply suffering overflowing. And I hope, too, for those especially of us who have taken the Bodhisattva vows, that we don't say, well, my, my suffering is more righteous than yours. Um, it's easy for us to do that. And I think a lot of tribes do that back and forth to each other. And the problem with that is we never hear each other. We never listen to each other. The idea is to bring less suffering into the world and to transform the suffering of the world. And it's not just the suffering of people like us. It's the suffering of all people. Those are our vows. Huh? 
Namo Amida Butsu. Let's turn to the, uh, our closing page in our book. Podcast. The Way of Oneness is produced by the Salt Lake City Buddhist Fellowship, an all-inclusive, trans-sectarian American Sangha in the spirit of Bright Dawn Way of Oneness Buddhism. To learn more about the fellowship, please contact us at saltlakebuddhist.org. Our website will give information about meetings and other services that we provide the community. Again, thank you for listening.